Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. I'm especially glad to be here because right now I'm supposed to be teaching third grade through fifth grade at the church we go to. <laughs> Just joking. I don't think that's my gift. Um, but my wife's there. She's, she's taking care of it. So all is good. Um, we made it through the storm, right? We're all here. We made it through the snow. We got our cars dug out. Or we got picked up by somebody, which is fine. And I'm glad you're here. And I just want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you with some words that I think are important for the church. I think that it's important for us to be encouraged after the last 22 months and everything that's happened. And I just want to encourage you this morning and maybe a little bit of reproof at the end. But we'll save that and we'll see how things go, okay? We'll make sure you don't throw anything at me first. So I grew up in Canton, Ohio, home of the NFL Football Hall of Fame. And I know that probably right there I probably lost half my audience because you could care less. And I apologize for that, but it's, it's kind of like part of what made me me. So I grew up in a, and went to a school called Glen Oak High School. And every year, our first game of the season was at then what they called Fawcett Stadium. I gotta talk faster, my slides are coming. At Fawcett Stadium, it's now called Benson Stadium. And that's where the Hall of Fame game was every year. That's where the Hall of Fame was. And we played Canton McKinley and it was so exciting. And I remember as a sophomore going out on that field for this first time and told, being told by the coach, go in. And it was exciting because I love the game of football. Now, they're trying to ruin that for me now, but I love the game of football as a game, not as a political tool. I love the game of football and I loved it growing up. And I remember as a little kid, my dad played football in the 50s. And I remember looking at pictures of him in a book of him running the, the ball. And I was so excited. And I had an old men at barbershops that would tell me, oh my gosh, you should have seen your dad. He was amazing. He blew his knee out and that ended his career. But uh, to me, it was always a dream. And I love every year, I was reading an article about the 2021 induction of the the honorees for the Football Hall of Fame. And of course, this slide. There it is. Okay, sorry. And where was I? I'm from Canton. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So they had the 2020 inductees, too. But one of my favorite inductee ceremonies was in 2011 when Deion Sanders got up to give his acceptance speech. He was being inducted into the Football Hall of Fame, and I love this quote. Spell check on the computer hates it, but I love it. He said, if your dream ain't bigger than you, there's a problem with your dream. If your dream ain't bigger than you, there's a problem with your dream. Over the last 22 months or so, many of the dreams that people had have been challenged at the least and at the worst dismantled. And the question many have had, have had is, what can we keep? What can we hang on to? Does it, do I need to even dream? Should I have some dreams? Ramey and I didn't talk this morning, but I want us to turn over to Ephesians chapter 3 just for a moment. You've got to understand in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's 
relationship with the elders there. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has established the church in his second missionary journey. And he had spent some time there. On his third missionary, he goes there and he spends like, depending on who's doing the math, somewhere between two years and three months, two years, five months, two years, six months. He spent a lot of time there during his third missionary journey. And as he's going back to Jerusalem, he's circling around and he knows he doesn't have time because of the timing to go back to Ephesus. So he goes to a town called Miletus. And he sends a message to the elders in Ephesus, and he says, will you come meet me in Miletus? And so the elders get together, and they go to Miletus. What I love about this is this just shows the relationship that we had. It wasn't, they didn't have Greyhound buses. They didn't have, you know, airplanes. They didn't have cars. This was about a 478-mile distance. So we got Ephesus up here, and directly south, we have Miletus. And those elders go to Miletus to meet with elders, the elders, and at some point, they go to the beach, and Paul's talking to them, and he's giving his farewell. Fast forward, that's what, that's what Ramey had read, his farewell, which you can find in Acts chapter 20. He leaves there, he goes on his journey, and fast forward four to six years later, he's a prisoner in Rome. And he writes some letters from Rome, from prison, and this was one of the letters that he wrote in Ephesians. And he has a prayer for them, and he wants them to know that God is with them. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you. He may strengthen you with power through the Spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Listen to this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church of Christ, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I'm telling you, if you have a Bible, you need to underline that phrase. God is able. Now, to him who is able. If you have a tablet, you can highlight it. One of the keepsakes from this verse that I just love as I read through it is this word that's translated dream or imagine. It can be either or, dream or imagine. It's a Greek word, phadazomai, and it means to visualize or to conceive. He tells the elders here in the church in Ephesus, as this, as this letter is, is uh, circulating around, God is able. He is able because of the power that's working inside of you. 
It's not you that's accomplishing this. It's God that's accomplishing this because the Spirit of God lives in you. God is able. Paul writes to the church, don't you dare, he says, think you can imagine or dream a dream so big that God can't fulfill it. Because God can. God can fulfill your dreams. One writer said this, he says there are people who put their dreams in a little box and they bring them out once in a while and look at it. They're great dreams, but they never even get out of the box. He says it takes an uncommon amount of guts to put your dreams on the line. But it's hard to keep dreaming in an atmosphere where dreams keep being kicked and where the dreams keep being thrown in the pit. But then it seems God has many times throughout history chosen to work with dreamers, people with a wild eye toward the future, those who aren't afraid to dream, those who aren't afraid to imagine, those who aren't afraid to be used by God. We are in need of Christians who will dream. We are in need of Christians who will imagine what God can do. We need to remember that dreaming is easy to do. Keeping the dreams alive is sometimes more difficult. Now, listen, I'm not talking about some nocturnal event where you, you're sleeping and you think all of a sudden that you're falling off a cliff or that you're being chased by a bear. More than likely, that's because you ate at the Mexican restaurant before you went to bed. <laughs> and I'm not talking about that type of dream. I'm not talking about that. I'm speaking about dreams that take place when you're awake. That Greek word for imagine, phantasmai, allowing our minds to go just for a few minutes, taking off the shackles of reality and all the facts and the things that keep our feet nailed to the floor and ask ourselves this, what could God do with me where I work? What could God do with me where I live? What could God do with this church? What could God do with Marysville Christian Church? What could he do in Marysville? What could he do in the greater Columbus area, in Ohio, in the world, if we just stepped back for a moment and said, we're going to rely on you, God, and we're going to dream some big dreams. Because Paul says, you can't dream bigger than God. You can't accomplish things that you can imagine. The, most, the, the thing that you can imagine the biggest, <laughs> Paul says, God's got it. You can dream. You know, many companies have dream sessions and they have these neuroscientists that come in and they talk about what's going to happen with the company and stuff like that. And I know for sure, this is not a business. This is the kingdom of God. This is the church. And we need to release those things holding us back. And we need to dream some big dreams. But I need to give you a warning about dreaming wild dreams. And I'm going to give you that, morning, that warning this morning with a story from the Old Testament from a guy named Joseph. You know, the guy with the coat of many colors? Most of you have probably heard that story. Because dreams, they can get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, they can uh, make things 
much more difficult for you. And so I want to read this morning in Genesis chapter 37. There's a dream that God gives to Joseph. And almost immediately the dreamer is tested. Read with me Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilphah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Oh yeah, Joseph was also a little bit of a tattletale. Uh, we see that at a few places. So he gives his father a bad report about what's going on out as they're tending the sheep. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that kind, they, when they saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous, but his father kept the matter in mind. When God finds a person willing to dream, he also allows that person to be challenged. You remember some of you when you first became Christians? You had all these great ideas, all these things that you were going to do, these big dreams of what God was going to do through you. You said, I want to use my talents. I want to use what God has given me for God's glory. You had your dreams, but you kind of feel like at some point your dreams were having some trouble being realized. Maybe it was someone else Maybe a frustrating family member. Maybe somebody in your small group. Maybe somebody at church. Maybe your neighbor. Maybe people just laugh at your dreams. That's what they did to Joseph. They laughed and they said, are you serious? You think we're going to bow down to you? And maybe they laugh and they say, how can you do that? You know what kind of home you came from? You know what kind of mom and dad you had? We know who they are. There's no way you're going to be able to do your dreams. They say, we know your past. We know your past. So you can just put those dreams away. I'm going to imagine that Joseph's family, if you read through the stories there in Genesis, was a family therapist nightmare. Because <laughs> Joseph came from the original dysfunctional family. Okay, Adam and Eve had the original dysfunctional family, and that goes all the way back to the beginning. Remember Cain and Abel and all that stuff? Okay. So this is a few generations removed. His, his dad's name was Jacob, which literally means, in the original Hebrew language, means heel grabber. 
but it also means deceiver or cheater. In Genesis chapter 25, from the word go, Jacob is known as a cheat and a scoundrel. He, the original story is, so Jacob and Esau were being born, and Esau is being born first, and Jacob reaches out his hand to grab the heel of his brother because he wants to be first. That's kind of his personality. Isaac, one of Abraham and Sarah's child, marries Rebekah, and they have these twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob cheats his brother out of his birthright for a bowl of what I can only imagine was the best lentil soup ever. <laughs> I would love to taste that soup. I'm kind of a foodie. And uh, lentil soup's okay, I like it. But I can't imagine exchanging your blessings for a bowl of soup. It must have been amazing. And then Jacob fools his blind father and gets that blessing reserved for the firstborn. And then he goes to his father-in-law's because Esau's not really happy about all the stuff that happened. And his mother's not really happy about everything that's happened. And so they send him off to Laban. They send him off to family. Get out of here because Esau is going to kill you. And so he runs off to Laban, and Laban gives him a dose of his own medicine. This kind of deceiving stuff apparently ran in this family. And Jacob works for seven years to get a daughter, Rachel, but he gets married, and apparently at some point he thought to look at her, and he lifts up the veil after they're married, and he said, whoa, that's Leah. That's not the one he was working for. And so he goes to Laban and said, what have you done to me? And he says, well, here, here's the deal. It's not a custom here to give our younger daughter before we give the older. So you got the younger. I mean, you got the older, I'm sorry. And then he makes a deal with Laban that he'll make, work seven more years to get Rachel. Now, he gets Rachel sooner than the seven years, but he has to work out that seven years so he can have her hand in marriage. So they go on to have 13 children with four different mothers. Again, blended, blended families aren't brand new. I would encourage you to read all the details of the story there, starting about Genesis chapter 25 and reading through the end of the chapter, because in their family there's deception, there's cheating, there's rape, there's incest. The family's a mess. Imagine just for a second Joseph going to the family therapist. The therapist says, what's the problem, son? And Joseph said, my brothers hate me. And the therapist said, well, a lot of, a lot of kids feel like that. A lot of siblings feel like they're, 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 their siblings hate them. And he said, no, no. My siblings really hate me. Except for my dad. And he loves me too much. My dad gave me this coat in front of my brothers, all 11 of them. And by doing so, he said, I was the favorite. I was the best. Then I have this dream, and I get up and I tell my brothers, you're going to bow down to me. And they said, in your dreams. And he says, exactly. <laughs> we constantly fight. We argued about whose mom was the best. 
Which one of us did Daddy love the most? Bill Hall wears combat boots. <laughs> when my dad put that coat on me, which not only showed he loved me the most, but it also showed heirship and leadership within our family. My brothers lost it. My brothers hated me so bad that they made a plan to get rid of me. And one day, which was common, my father sent me to check on my brothers who were out grazing the sheep. He sent me out to check on them and they grab me and they throw me in a pit. And they decide this is our chance. We're going to kill him. And Reuben, the older brother, says, oh, no, let's not do that. So they see this, um, what do you call this? This group traveling, these Ishmaelites. And they decide, hey, we won't kill him. We will sell him to the Ishmaelites and they'll take him to Egypt and we'll not have to worry about him again. And my brothers took that coat that my dad gave me and they dipped it in goat's blood and they took it back to my father and they said, your son has been killed by a wild animal. They laughed. They scoffed. What do I do with my dreams now? What can I do about my dreams now? You know, it's easy for us to whine and complain when things don't go our way. Gripe about what we don't have. We get older and we want to blame our parents for maybe things that have happened. Maybe we want to blame our brothers and sisters, maybe our grandparents, maybe some teacher. Maybe somebody didn't treat us like they should have. And that's legitimate. Maybe they didn't treat us like they should have. Maybe we think, I didn't get the opportunities I should have. Somebody else got those opportunities. And maybe instead of griping and complaining, we own it. And maybe we watch the dreamer as he keeps on dreaming and keeps saying, I don't care. God is able. God is bigger. God is able to, to make my dreams come true. And if you read through the book there, Joseph goes from slave to head of the prison. Then he has a situation with Potiphar's wife, and he goes from head of the prison to prisoner. And then he interprets the, some, some guy's dreams in prison, and they forget all about him. And then finally, the, the Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And one of them remembers, oh yeah, there's this guy that's in prison. His name's Joseph. And he goes from prisoner to head of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And we see Joseph being tested in both success and failure. And when all of his brothers are on their knees before him, much like the dream he had, and maybe Joseph was saying under his breath, because I would, I told you so. He messes with them a little bit. You know, there's a thing with a silver cup when he puts it in Benjamin's grain bag and they have to bring Benjamin back. And it's this whole thing where siblings, you know, are going to mess with siblings. And he messes with them for a little bit. But then the dreamer does the hardest thing of all. 
He's gracious to those who laughed at him. He's gracious to those who made fun of his dreams. And he lifts them up and he forgives them. And he says, let's be family. Satan is hard at work telling us, don't worry about your dreams. Stall your dreams. Your dreams don't matter. He's hard at work saying, hey, you know what? God doesn't want your dream. He can't use you. Satan whispers softly, give up. Give up on your dream, let it rot in the pit. You sold yourself out. God says, tell me your dreams because I'm able. We say, well, just a second, we're not worthy. 100% right, we're not worthy. Thank goodness it doesn't count on us. It counts on God. Because we are not worthy. If you think because a dream was fulfilled, you're done dreaming, let's take a look here of a lesson from the last moments of Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 50, at the very last of the book, his father Jacob has died. Now Joseph is dying. And he's on his deathbed. And you may be thinking it's all happened, but it hasn't. There's still more to be received. There's still something else going on. Because there had been a promise to the forefathers. I mean, this is a tough one. Because Joseph is about to die, and he knew it. He's laying there old and ready to draw his last breath, and his family is around him, And he knows he's about to die. They all know what he's thinking. God promised us land. He told us it would happen. He said we'd get the promised land. They're there and they're wondering, who's going to bring that up to Grandpa now? Who's going to bring that up to Dad now? Who's going to bring that to our brother now? Because apparently it's not going to happen. And Joseph looks at them And he says in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 25, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And Joseph closed his eyes, still dreaming, still knowing that God was going to deliver. Can you imagine there, Joseph said, they're thinking it's not going to happen. And Joseph said, listen, he told that to grandpa. He told that to great grandpa. It's going to happen. It's just going to be on his time. And when it happens, I want you to carry my bones. I dare you this morning. We've had a crazy 22 months. I dare you this morning, don't stop dreaming. Some of us need to wake up and start dreaming. Some of us need to wake up and start having some imaginations where we are in our word of God, we're in the Bible, we're reading, we're praying, we're spending some quiet time, and then we have some dreams that are God-sized dreams. And only that God can can accomplish. What is your God-sized dream?
What's your God-sized dream for Marysville Christian? What can a God, God accomplish through you? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, God is able. So I have this little collection of New Testaments, New Testament translations. Don't tell Pam. <laughs> Just joking. She knows. Every time I bring a book home, she knows. But I have, I don't know, just different translations that people have done of the New Testament. I have N.T. Wright's. I got some others. Not that big of a deal. But I love to go through them and see how they translate different sections of Scripture. And this is a little uh, New Testament that my dad had on his bookshelf. And a couple years ago, he said, hey, you see anything you want? I said, yeah, I'd like to have that, that New Testament translation. So he said, no problem. And I love the way it translates it. Verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 3, it says, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would even dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. I think that translation, it just, it just puts it all together. That we have a spirit working in us. What translation is that? Uh, what, oops. It is uh, the Living New Translation. It's from the 60s. So, who knows what's going on. But I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. My dad got it from a secondhand store in 1988. But God is able. We need to start dreaming some God-sized dreams. Because I'm here to tell you, and just bear with me for a second. Maybe this will make some of you mad. That's okay. I'm, I'm just visiting. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter who the president is. It doesn't matter who we think is in charge or who the world thinks is in charge. Because you know what? God's in charge. God's in charge. And he's the one that can make our dreams come true. What your job is, who you work for, where you live, all the things that we think are important, our world thinks important, aren't important. Not as important as who's in charge. And God's in charge. Dream, dreams are not based on what we think we can accomplish or our talents. I can imagine us going to God and telling him our dreams our puny dreams, and him laughing and saying, is that all you've got? Is that all you've got? Because Paul told the church in Ephesus, and I want to keep on, I want you to remember this if you need, don't remember anything else. God is able. I'm thinking about getting that as a tattoo on my arm. I don't have any tattoos. But I thought that'd be a great conversation starter. And I typed it into my notes in my phone, and I was like, God is able. Well, what's God able to do? In like 10 minutes, I came up with 45 things. And then I stopped. I need to go back to it. God is able. He's able to make our dreams come true, if we'll allow him to. So I want to encourage you this morning, keep dreaming. 
Ask God, what can I do in my sphere of influence? How can you use me? How can you use me to be the Christian you would have me to be? How can you use our church to have the church influence the community and the world? Not for, not for ourselves, but for Christ. And taking the gospel to the people of God. Keep on dreaming. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Walden Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.